Have you ever wanted to be the first to know if aliens really exist? Well, with Nebula, you can be! Nebula is the streaming service that's home to its Probably Not Aliens, as well as our YouTube channels. And the best part? All of our content goes up early on Nebula. So when we break first contact with E.T., you'll be the first to find out. That's right, you'll be able to listen to the next episode of this show before anyone else. Plus, we post bonus content that you won't find any other place. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and be the first to know if this time it really is aliens. Hey folks, Scott here. Really quickly, just wanted to say that the next two episodes of this podcast are going to be focused around David Icke, the guy who popularized the idea that lizard people are taking over the world and the governments and all sorts of stuff like that. And unfortunately, with that topic comes a lot of discussions of anti-Semitism. So if that is not something you're in the mood to listen to right now, totally understand. We've got a lot of other episodes uh, in our back catalog if you want to check those out. Just wanted to give you a quick Heads up as we head into the episode. Go ahead, Tristan. Uh, it's you can ask me. You can ask me uh, what it's like. You know, everyone's wondering. Um, uh, I'm, I'm no, I, I get it. You're a little, you're a little starstruck because I did have a viral tweet the other day. Oh, um, wow. Oh, oh, um, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Thank I'm sure you've seen it made all sorts of headlines and, uh, everyone's one, everyone's wanting to know what I'm going to do next. You know, I, you know, I just tweeted about my good boy Scooby-Doo and then it got, uh, too many, too many likes. It got shared around like wildfire. So, uh, but I'm here to say I'm still the same Scott that, that, you know, you know, I'm still your bud. I'm, st- I'm still here. I'm just a regular little, uh, podcast person and, uh, nothing's going to change. You know, I, I, nothing's going to change from my, from the way that I, the way that I am. So this is a tweet about Scooby-Doo. This is, did you miss? the tweet i yes this was my big break and you missed it is what you're saying yeah i was um i have a baby i don't go on twitter very much anymore oh okay um yeah i just i tweeted a quote from the first live action scooby-doo movie where it's daphne's like i need a clue and uh the person that she's uh asking it to who i believe is just credited as voodoo man um says here's a clue purple's a fall color it's the middle of may and since it was the middle of may when i tweeted it i was like this is a day when you can tweet this and people ate it up including writer of the film himself james gunn who retweeted it and shared it across all social medias and tagged me in everything which i thought was very nice of him to do wait wait wait. okay wait wait james james gunn like eight-legged freaks uh slither guardians of the galaxy Galaxy, the Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy who was known for making like the most like gross out body horror. Like he's like, uh-huh, so uh-huh. he did a, he did, a, he did a Scooby-Doo. He, he did both of the Scooby-Doos and was <laughs> going to do a third. This, this feels like we're off the track here. Cause I'm talking about me being a celebrity and you, you, I feel like you are still lost in the fact that James Gunn wrote the live action Scooby-Doo movies. Listen, I've already, it's already taken me like almost a, how long has it been since Guardians of the Galaxy came out? like almost a decade now yeah i still see him as the guy who made slither um okay a movie from 2006 i want to say that i feel like i might be the only person who remembers okay well the scooby-doo movies came out in 2002 and 2004 so what's your excuse there for not knowing his seminal work in those films he only wrote them he didn't direct them so maybe that's it maybe, maybe. that's part um, of it it's also that um this might this might actually be a, a pivotal moment in the future of our friendship um i'm not like a huge 
Scooby-Doo guy. Oh, no. I, oh, no. I, I watched the 60s cartoon as a kid a little bit when it was on, but, but that's Unbelievable. It. I'm heartbroken by this conversation. <laughs> I don't know if I want to record the rest of this episode. What if I, what if I can like, you know, door in the, door in the face technique or door in the foot, uh, foot in the door technique. Okay. That, uh, you are shocked by how horrible I am yeah. for not be, for not liking Scooby-Doo past the, you know, being of the target audience age. Okay. But I introduce you to someone who's way worse. You introduce me to someone who's way, who could be worse than a person who doesn't like Scooby-Doo. I can't, I couldn't imagine such a person, Tristan. I can imagine that this guy maybe doesn't like Scooby-Doo either. Yeah? Oh, um, I don't know if you know this, but I accidentally started recording. Oh, well, that I, I, I'm always recording on my end. So do you just want, you want to turn this into a podcast? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Hey, everyone. Um, This is another episode of It's Probably Not Aliens. Yeah. This is a podcast where we debunk a lot of ancient astronaut theories and along the way, learn about real world history and, of people and places and cultures and today I think we have a very particularly uh, scummy person to talk about who we who we teased in uh, in the past. But before that, uh, my name is Scott. I know nothing except for my love of Scooby-Doo. Yes, and my name's Trissa. I am the one who knows about all but movie trivia, as we've learned. Yeah, this just this continues that trend, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, actually, I oh I do have one Scooby-Doo story, which was that I asked a guy who played shaggy at universal studios whether or not scooby snacks was weed or okay if he um is eating dog treats oh okay and the response the response was is that like you know dogs eat cheese which okay. is a human food and so yeah. scooby snacks are actually like not dog treats they're for people and that people the dog that is named have. after the treats because he liked them so much mm. the, see this plays with scooby cannon and we can't get into it all right we can't <laughs> i can't turn this into another whole on Anunnaki episode where I'm talking about Scooby-Doo for a long period of time. This is actually, actually does, a good connection because this, yeah. uh, this is a direct through line, the it direct sure through line is. from the Anunnaki episode from... Um, f- 10 years ago, I think, when we started this episode? Yeah, it's been a while since we recorded. See, I told you to trust me and we'd get to the topic of this episode. We just have to take the we just have to take the lane through Scooby-Doo Boulevard real quick to finally get to the actual thing we're talking about. So, like, I mean, you guys have probably seen the title of this episode so far, but um, the name the, the name we're, we're, we're dancing around is, and I mentioned this in the Anunnaki episode, a guy by the name of uh, David Ike. David Ike, whose name is almost spelled like David Icky. Yes, yeah, so David Icky. That feels uh, fitting. Who is a little icky. Yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're going to do another one of our uh, profiles, sort of uh, where I, um, we're already kind of doing the, like, the dollop theme, uh, which then was, you know, borrowed by every podcast ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the sub one, which is Behind the Bastards, the podcast that I listen to fairly religiously. And so this is my ripping off of Behind the Bastards to do a Behind the Bastards that's specifically about ancient aliens people. <laughs> Let's do it. Everyone really liked uh, the episodes that we did about uh, Eric Von Daniken and people were screaming out for more of them. So we've got a potentially another two-parter about another another sc- scumbag from the from the ancient aliens world, David Icky. And the, unlike Eric Von Daniken, I actually know very, very little about this person. So I'm excited to learn who was this guy? Why is he a big deal? What was his, what, what's his connection to this space that we're in talking about aliens and history? Okay. So here's 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 what I'm going to tell you. I don't know if he is icky, okay, or just nuts. That's okay. sort of the question mark that will line over this thing. But um, this is also probably just a thing that comes from my. This is like a personal vendetta going through uh-huh. because uh, David Ike, as we kind of we'll probably get to near the end, has had uh, a personal negative effect on my life and specifically like people who I know. And furthermore, when I was first starting on YouTube. YouTube, all the way back in like 20 aught seven that there was a rash of conspiracy videos of people putting badly compressed video footage up on YouTube and saying, look, that's a shape shifting reptile. And uh, David Icke is basically the guy who has popularized the whole thing about um, the world being controlled by shape shifting reptiles from space. Oh, no. Well, all right, let's let's get into it, because I feel like we've got a lot to a lot 
of ground to cover. Mm-hmm. So the first bit that we have to talk about is going to be, I, I have a feeling that this is the highest chance that I'm going to make uh, a mistake because uh, it has to do with a, sex, a, a, a segment of entertainment that you and I are both extremely well-versed in, and that is sports. Scooby-Doo. Oh, so yes. Sports. sports. Now, David Icke, if you are a British person, so there are probably are some Brits listening to this podcast who are like, I know who David Icke is. He's he's kind of known in the UK more than he is here. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. Um, yeah. David Icke was born in Leicester. And I, I know that the correct pronunciation of Leicester is um, whichever way you said it is wrong. Uh, yeah, it's that's just like true. Uh, it's just like Louisville, Kentucky. The the proper way to pronounce it is that however you pronounced it is wrong. Yeah, it's the, <laughs> the old bop it extreme. Try it again, but better. But yeah, uh, David Icke, his career starts with uh, a, a little bit of football. Oh, that was good. Hey, whoa, I feel like I'm in jolly old London right now. Yeah, he's a little bit of a footballer, which uh, in our countries is called soccer. That's OK. I'm willing to concede foot f- football. We get it. Yeah, we so know he- what it is. Ted Lasso. We've seen it. Yeah. Uh, so he was a quarterback. No, a goalie mm-hmm. uh, in in football. Um, yeah, so here's his basically story about David Icke. He grew up in a pretty poor place. And in his biography, he wrote about having regularly being in fear because like landlords would come by his like family's apartment to shake them down for rent money and stuff like that. Mm. So he might have developed, you know, if you really want to psychoanalyze him, he might have developed some sort of uh, paranoid uh, fear of people in authority that comes yeah. from from that experience. Because you can imagine you being, you, your family, your parents being shaken down by the landlord when you're a kid for rent yeah. could be a traumatizing experience. I mean, like we, you and I would probably say today that landlords are parasites, but I think he would take that idea and be like, no, they're like literal, like par- they're like monsters. They're like actual, like parasitic creatures. Mm-hmm. You know, am I far off there? Is that kind of, yeah, yeah. I mean, and said, yeah, they just um, don't do any work and make lots of money. Um, we're going to get the one landlord listener to the show being like I, I how dare you mm-hmm. if you're a landlord listening to this um stop maybe yeah stop charging <laughs> money for people um, having the right to live in a space yeah. um anyways uh that that we're getting far out okay so so david ike of uh, football david um, ike football so apparently david ike was never super good in school he never really tried that hard he never really did that great but from the age of nine it became pretty apparent that he was very good at the football okay so in junior school he got picked up for the third year football team at the age of nine and reportedly this was a huge deal. It was the first time he had ever succeeded at anything. And in a lot of cases, and this happens to a lot of people who grew up in poverty, mm-hmm. um, sport, specifically like get it, being good enough at sport to um, to be professional is seen as a way out of poverty. Sure. He was a goalie. I think that may, may be a hockey term. He played goal. Um, he played goal. Okay. And, which worked well for him because he was a bit of a loner, uh, did not have much of like a team player vibe. So he got to just hang out at the back and keep balls from getting into yeah. big net. He didn't like playing by the rules, so he did the only position in soccer where you get to use your hands. <laughs> yep. And apparently uh, he said that being goalie gave him a sense of, quote, living on the edge between hero and villain. I, take take huh. however, whatever you mean by that. I don't know. I'm not a football no, watcher. I get it. I get it. So my, my girlfriend's dad and brother are both lacrosse coaches. And uh, I specifically, I think her dad was a goalie and I totally get it. I watch a lot of lacrosse now because of them and their family. And if you save goals, you are like praised as a hero. If you let anything buy you, everyone's going to be like, unbelievable, this guy. Unbelievable. What a, the, you're, you're the reason this team's losing right now is because of you. Because it's, uh, yeah, it's just a very clear line between like, if a team is doing good or bad, it's easiest to, I think, blame the goalie on that. Two fun pieces of trivia. Mm. Lacrosse, developed by indigenous uh, people. And yes. two is the actual official sport of Canada. Oh, that's amazing. Not hockey. Uh, so I don't know if you know this about the UK, but they also have a lot of standardized tests in their education system. And he failed his 11 plus exam in 1963 and ended up going to the to Crown Hill Secondary Modern rather than a grammar school, which I guess is like a fancier school. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm not British, so I don't know the, the, the politics of which schools you get into. This is all going to be based on reading Harry Potter when I was in middle school so yeah i don't i know nothing about schools in other places 
everything so different. It's true. Uh, but he did get to get put on trial for the um, the Leicester boys under 14 uh, football team and apparently was so good that he dropped out of school at the age of 15 um, because he had been talent spotted by Coventry City and they signed him up in 1967 to be part of their to be the the goalkeeper on their youth team. So like very, very good. Very good at sports. Oh, that's the term for it, right? Goalkeeper, not goalie. That's got to be probably it, right? goalie feels yeah. like the unofficial term but yeah he was ex- he was you're saying he was very very good at the sport mm-hmm. and in the 1968 season he was the goalkeeper for coventry city and was uh this was the year that they were actually runners up to uh burnley in the the fa youth club i am just reading text copied from websites because <laughs> we like, i don't we don't know what any of this means we, now there's a there's a podcast pitch where the two of us who know nothing about sports get sports stories like news uh-huh. stories and we have to decipher <laughs> what is going like you know like um when you read like a article it's like from the sports section and it's like all inside jargon that you have to be like you have to kind of know what's going on to understand yeah we read He's that like, and try to interpret read the bones to find out like, what happened man, i don't know what i don't know what the it, anytime I watch any sport like even even the amount of lacrosse I've watched there are calls that are made where I'm like I don't know why the game stopped suddenly and this part I don't know what's happening and why did the whistle blow I don't know it's like trying to decipher a code trying to like figure out how these rules work without without like a manual or anything I'm just like Mm -hmm. I don't know this doesn't make sense to me or like when you're watching sports on television and they have all of the like like the kind of like info at the side for quick reference and I'm like I don't know what any of these are there's too many numbers can we simplify it can we do a can we do a five a five e a fifth edition of football so the math is simplified yeah, it's just at the bottom it just says the team that is winning yeah <laughs> i don't need any other information thank you yeah uh so he did that uh he also played for oxford united's reserve team and northampton town uh apparently on loan from coventry so uh, you know, very, very promising uh, footballer who was probably like pretty well, like like not even like good at sports, like in in line to become a professional footballer. Yeah, it's like someone who probably could have been playing on like a FIFA team if if it, if things hadn't uh, gone south. Because oh no, what happened? Uh, David Ike, unfortunately, in his early twenties, started developing rheumatoid arthritis, mm. uh, which is basically an immune. Uh, autoimmune disease where your joints get inflamed uh and he started suffering a lot of pain in his knee uh in one knee and then the other and in his ankles and eventually in his elbows wrists and hands i don't know if you know about uh football but one thing i do know is that you need all of those joints to play those sports yeah you do need to move a little bit to do sports i'm pretty sure so this sounds like it probably wasn't great for his career no uh eventually it stopped him from making a career out of it but he did still try uh, reportedly that during training, he was basically in agony oh, uh, and I can he imagine. tried to uh, keep uh, making money by playing part time for Hereford United. And in doing so, he was just like constantly in pain. And at some point he did have mm. to um, in 1973 at the age of 21, he was forced to retire. This apparently upset his father, who was who was very disappointed in him for getting arthritis. Yeah, I, that's not really something you can control right no um but this feels like peak like villain origin story material yeah. here oh yeah like i was on path to be this is this is your D character in a bit of a way oh oh my god you're right my D character coach tucker because he was on to become a footballer and then yeah. he got injured then i got and injured and his dad was disappointed in him or at least he thought he was there's a big twist at the and end. then you yeah. go to war to so uh cl- close portals to another dimension which Just actually plays like into- david i did yeah, closing portals know. to other dimensions interesting okay interesting this, there's more this parallels is, than i thought <laughs> yeah if uh this this is all references to uh a dnd podcast i was on a while ago one of my characters apparently has a lot of similarities to david ike and i had no I, I i promise i did not base my character off of david ike it was a coincidence that my character's name was coach ike coach david ike coach no, david ike, <laughs> coach david ike uh, playing was. a uh, lizard folk fighter <laughs> that would be funny though 
Yeah, so th- this is this is the villain origin story. This is someone who could have done something totally different and now uh, will slowly, I imagine, will morph into the person who started the entire like widespread conspiracy about like lizard people. Is that what you're saying? That like that's what that's the conspiracy he's known for, right? Well, he he popularized that um that Russian guy uh, from the previous one, but yeah, basically he is known for make he is like the face of the reptilian conspiracy uh, crowd. Yeah, I, I feel like we definitely need to get into to more detail about that conspiracy because I don't even know what that conspiracy is other than just like lizard people might be a thing in power. So oh, we will get there. It get okay. David All Ike right. has uh, like a whole cinematic universe of beliefs, but. But yeah, this um, this retiring from football, you could imagine, was pretty rough for someone who had no other education, dropping out of school. But also, uh, you could imagine that being a professional footballer probably pays pretty well. And having to retire, he they had to, him and his wife had to sell their homes uh, for several weeks. They actually had to move back to their parents' house and they lived apart. But David Icke did find uh, another place to land, and uh, you know this is actually pretty legit. He became okay. a sports journalist. Yeah, that's awesome. And People he was apparently those. really good at it. Uh, in 1973, he got a job as a reporter for the Weekly Leicester Advertiser. Uh, he had a contact who was a sports editor at the Daily Mail, which is a very big British newspaper. Okay. And he became a sports reporter. In 1982, he ended up moving to the Isle of Wight and he ended up getting all the way up to the BBC and he worked for BBC Sport. And for a while in the 1970s, he was a household name. David Icke was like one of the big sports journalists in the UK. Oh, wow. Wow. This is this is I'm just I'm like waiting for the shoe to drop almost a little bit because this this everything you've told me so far just sounds like a a fairly normal life. And in fact, a little bit more than normal where it's it's a pretty I don't want to say extraordinary, but it's just like it's a very fortunate life to like build up that that much in your career to like be be an athlete, then be like a household name as a reporter. Like this sounds pretty nice. And I'm waiting for that shoe to drop. Well, he went into politics. Okay. So this is another side thing. This is this is where you start to see a little bit of what's going on. So when he developed arthritis, he was desperately trying to find anything to sort of cure it so that he could get back into football. Uh, this got him into alternative medicine and mm. uh, the new age movement in the 80s as he tried uh. to um, kind of work on things that could sate the, the sort of pain that he was going through. Gotcha. I, I can see, I can start to see where things might seep in from that. Yeah. And he got really into it. He was uh, he became a hardcore environmentalist and he even uh, became a spokesman for the Green Party in the UK for quite a while. And so, like, yeah, he had like a little bit of a career as sort of like uh, the the spokesman for this party, which is like, you know, it's a legit British political party. Yeah. But then, uh, but then. <laughs> according to according to David Icke, in this period, he also started to, quote, feel a presence uh, mm. and started seeing a psychic. Um, okay. And through these psychic readings, he learned that he was the avatar of a spirit and received instructions that he was going to change the world. He received several predictions, uh, prophecies of the future that we would invent a flying machine that would make near instantaneous travel happen, and that the Earth's core would destabilize, causing earthquakes around the world. Ah. Things that have all famously happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why even though you live in Canada and I live in America, we do record this podcast in person every week because we can travel instantaneously between mm-hmm. our two locations. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're familiar with that technology. We live in the, we, what's it called? And the Earth is uh, being destroyed by uh, destabilizing earthquakes because we yeah. live in the fifth season. Um, <laughs> no, we don't, we don't. The fifth season is one of the most grimmest darkest worlds and i never want to be close to it i'm finishing that book series right now Uh uh-huh possibly the darkest fantasy series i have ever read in my life holy crap really good but just horribly depressing really dark um and apparently he went uh during his spiritual journey he eventually went to peru which i think might be the most abused country by ancient aliens people yeah come on (laughs) leave peru alone And, and according to ike he had a spiritual awakening there and also 
also uh, in this period where he was having all these spiritual uh, revelations, he also wore nothing but turquoise huh. to the point where he refers to it as his turquoise period. Um, was there so, a specific reason why? I don't know. Nothing that I could dig up. But now we're picking up um, where he's starting to have interests. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. He's starting he's starting to get really into this sort of stuff. Yes. So this is when he learned uh, that he has, uh, quote unquote, an infinite mind and that he is the son of God. Oh, he just he learned that. Yeah. And then also this was around the time that he entered into a triad relationship between his wife and his psychic. Okay, as long Um, as everyone was okay with that. Both women uh, changed their name when they got married to him or both women changed their name. And his wife, they didn't. They uh, uh, Sorry, only his wife married him, obviously. Uh, His psychic did not marry him. They just were a, a thruple. Yeah. Um, but his wife changed her name to Michaela because she thought herself to be an aspect of the Archangel Michael. Hmm. Okay. So it's, it feels like everyone, it's not just him, right? It's not just David. Everyone, everyone in the thruple is sort of, they're dipping into this altogether. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's no surprise that the psychic is. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, of the, course the psychic would be. Yeah. And the psychic whose name is Deborah Shaw uh, left him about a year later, but not before having a daughter with him who David Icke has reportedly only ever seen once. Oh, no. But here's the thing is that uh, his life would severely change in the 1990s um, because he that he left the Green Party and shortly after on television in an interview. Okay. Sorry. On BBC Radio One declared that he was the son of God. (laughs) Oh, and this is one of the most uh, this is actually one of the more like viral moments in like British television history was when like famous sports reporter David Icke announces that he's the son of God on live television. Oh no, David! What are you doing? Oh, that's uh, yeah, that feels like it would be quite an event, huh? <laughs> yeah, uh, he he also declared that the world was going to end in 1997, um, and that it would be preceded by uh, hurricanes, uh, volcanic eruptions in Cuba, China falling apart, hurricanes in Derry, and an earthquake on the Isle of Iran, and that the reason, the way that he got this was through hearing voices, and what he does a lot. Lot, which is automatic writing, which is where he doesn't think, just writes and interprets that as like, you know, the Godhead speaking through him, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also claimed that Los Angeles was going to become an island, that New Zealand would disappear, which if you look at a lot of maps, it already has. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, you know, that by Christmas, the, the cliffs of Kent would be underwater. So he made a lot of very specific predictions uh, yeah. tied to a specific year, which we've learned in like, you know, the history of prophecies. You want to be as vague as possible. Yeah, you want you want to leave room for interpretation so that you're never technically wrong. Mm-hmm. So this made headlines because, as I mentioned, he was quite a celebrity. And he nailed it, right? All those things happened in 1997? Oh, think they did i don't know to check i know that um that i was i was only nine so i wasn't really following the news that much but i have a feeling that if the world ended i don't know i feel like i might have they might have mentioned it my parents might have talked about it but then again it was the 90s and like who remembers the 90s who remembers the 90s certainly i don't nintendo 64 came out that's the only thing i remember was 1997 the year where i do remember there was like the christmas where um tickle me elmo and nintendo 64 were like both extremely hot ticket items and like it was like essentially like warfare to get your hands on one of these two things uh, for that one Christmas. I I think that might have been the year before. Um, Nintendo 64. No, wait. No. Yeah, it was 1996. Um, But it was... Nintendo 64 did come out in Europe in 1997. So maybe that's what he was thinking of. He was like, (laughs) once, once the Nintendo 64 comes out in our part of the world, that's... That's how we know. He had a prophecy that a golden eye would take the world by storm. (laughs) 64-bit technology will destroy the Earth's core. Well, they planned on that, but then the rumble pack, it was for the rumble pack. That's what all the earthquakes were going to be about. It was the rumble pack that came with Star Fox 64. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, we figured it out. We we uncovered it. <laughs> yeah. So when he was like kind of, you know, questioned about like, are you sure that you're David Icke, the son of God? He said that, um, well, Jesus would have been laughed at, too, if, uh, if 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 when he said that he was the son of God. I mean, he's got you there. Yeah. And so while he's being interviewed, people were laughing at him and they were asking, like, you know, uh, how do you feel about this? And David Icke said that laughter is the best way to remove negativity. And then uh, the interviewer replied, but they're laughing at you. They're not laughing laughing with you. <laughs> so the BBC was criticized for uh-huh. even allowing such an interview to happen on like, you know, television, live television. Yeah. Um, it was wild. Like I've seen clips of this interview because it's like one of the wildest moments in British TV history. But yeah, it's 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 intense. Um, but apparently it led to quite a difficult period for David Icke because uh, a lot of his, you know, standing as like a, a public figure uh, might have been hurt by him mm. declaring himself the son of God. A little bit, I would imagine. He had stories of like crowds showing up at his house uh, chanting, we want the Messiah or give us a sign, David. So he was being like trolled by teenagers in the 90s. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying, I thought you were going to say these were genuine people who were like, yeah, we want the Messiah. Come on out, David. I think they were, they were, they were, they were people who were, yeah. yeah, Okay. All right. Um, But you know, this is not the first time David Icke has had to completely reinvent himself. So he moved on from politician and journalist and became started a new career in the world of conspiracy theories, new age medicine, and anti-Semitism. <laughs> Would you say a more accurate thing rather than saying he moved on from journalism and politics? Would it be more accurate to say nobody really wanted him in those fields anymore? <laughs> he was not super duper welcome. So he went on from being a journalist to um possibly the worst career choice anyone can ever make. He became a content creator. Oh no! What, what kind of content did he create? Oh boy. Um, he wrote a lot of books. And by are a lot of books, books. No, no, they are not. They are um, not good books. So he had, a, he like, this interview basically killed any chance he'd have of a normal career. Uh, but he also apparently, uh, through the sort of public humiliation of, of it, um, more or less made him consider that he no longer cares what people think about him. Uh, mm. And that's where his journey began. So between the years of 1992 and 1994, he wrote five books. Okay. Five books in two to three years? That's... Uh... Yes. Uh, four of them he published in 1993. Oh, okay. Four in one year. <laughs> oh, my. What is he doing? Just cranking them out. But because he was a celebrity, they actually all got mainstream publications. Of course they did. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go through it. So 1992, he wrote a book called Love Changes Everything, okay. which um, was influenced by the work that he did with Deborah Shaw, the sort of channeling and automatic writing, uh, which was based on uh, theosophy. It was a study of the origin of the planet uh, in which David Icke writes about Jesus. Um, so theosophy is a specific religion that was uh, that's from the 19th century, and it's sort of like a very like Victorian occultist type twist on Christianity. All right. Theosophists believe that there's an ancient brotherhood of spiritual adepts called the Masters who are centered in Tibet and uh, taught a woman by the name of Helena Blavatsky, uh, all of these like secrets about the universe. They taught one person? This one person, and then she is the founder of the Theosophy movement. Oh, okay. So her sources for who these masters are are trust me. Trust me, bro. Trust me, bro. Um, I learned I learned straight from these masters. Everything not a drop of knowledge has left this old head of mine. And yeah. I will write it down for you. And I I assume make a lot of money doing so. And if you know anything about the late 19th century, there were a lot of flim flam and scam artists uh, mm. around at the time. And there was a lot of interest in uh, the occult and like in kind of spiritualism stuff. So mm-hmm, she mm-hmm, fits mm-hmm. Uh, right into right that whole in thing. There. Uh, so she had the belief that these masters were attempting to revive knowledge of an ancient religion that was once around the world. Uh, and that at some point in the future, it would eclipse all the other religions, uh, believes in something called the divine absolute, which um, basically sees the universe as all uh, manifest reflections of this absolute. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And so that the purpose of human life is to uh, emancipate itself and that the human soul undergoes emancipation upon bodily death uh, using a grotesque misunderstanding of karma, which is sort of a Indian religion uh, or a concept in uh, various Indian uh, based religions that does not process properly. No, I learned about karma for the first time in the show Rugrats All Growed Up. Did you ever see the Rugrats? No, I never. I, I, uh, I, I'm a Rugrats. Rugrats purist. I keep them babies in my mind and my heart. That's, that's how it should be. But I did watch the all grown up show a little bit. And I think Dill was teaching Angelica about karma. And that was the only that's the only thing that I've internalized from that show is that karma is real and instantaneous. When you do something good, you're immediately rewarded. And when you do something bad, you're immediately punished. Sounds accurate. Yeah, that's why there's only good stuff in the world right now. Hence why everything's fine. By the way, did you hear that we're getting like a turducken now of pandemics? Completely unrelated. Completely unrelated. Uh... So now we're getting monkeypox. So like, you know, they, uh, I guess like Karma was just like, hey, y'all, I heard you liked pandemics. So I put a pandemic in your pandemic. <laughs> so you can <laughs> pandemic while you pandemic. <laughs> Well, the good news is, as long as I do good things, then I will never be sick a day in my life. Um, so in 1993, I've said he mentioned uh, that he mentioned he wrote three books in 1993. Uh, those books were Day of Decision, which was a 86 page summary of his interviews after the big 1991 incident. Um, oh, OK. Just some took the interviews, summed it up, writ- wrote them down. OK. Yeah. Apparently the book questions the, her- the historicity of Jesus, but accepts the existence of quote the Christ spirit. Oh uh, wait, hold on. So are they? Is the book the book questions if Jesus was like a real historical figure or if yes? Oh okay, but but is that like, the Christ spirit is real. The Christ spirit is real. I f- mm-hmm. I, f- I correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like that's the opposite of what a lot of scholars might. I mean, if you're a religious <laughs> person, then you know obviously whatever. But like, I thought there was pretty strong evidence that Jesus was at least a real person. Maybe I'm wrong. Reasonable, like okay, uh, like uh, like the the like. It's still a question, but it is something that most people think like, yeah, there probably was somebody uh, who we could point to as like the yeah. origin of uh, of Christianity. So, yeah. OK. Um, in the same year, he published his autobiography called The Light of Experience. Mm-hmm. And also then he wrote another book called Heal the World, a do it yourself guide to personal oh. and planetary transformation. Oh, it's that easy. We can all do it. It's, it's take it on yourself. It's everyone do it. Heal the world. That's fun. What are the guides? Do we know what, what's the step by step instruction? Uh, well, there's not a lot of detail in this book because like these are just like sort of generic new agey stuff to like, you know, cash in, but still prolific content creator i could not make content this fast oh my goodness no 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 let alone how to heal the world that's pretty yeah. it's pretty big but what he's most famous for is his fifth book or sorry his uh fourth book in that uh line of books which is called the robots rebellion mm. and this is where things start to get extraterrestrial <laughs> Okay. Um, so, or sorry, this is not where things got extraterrestrial, but the things get a uh, real weird. This is where he veers into conspiracy theories. So this is the first book where he starts to receive allegations that he might be anti-Semitic. What? So let me know what you think about this. So um, he claims that the world, uh, that the world is being controlled by a shadowy cabal that has plans for world domination. Okay. Uh, that might be extraterrestrial. And the details on this shadowy cabal cabal that run the world is detailed in a uh, a book called The Protocols of the Elders of Zion, um, which... If you know anything about that 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 particular book already, your um, the alarm bells should be just going off everywhere. Uh, are you aware with the with the uh, the protocols of the elders of Zion? I'm not actually. No, thank God. It is probably one of the most influential works of writing, and the world is way worse off for it existing in the world. So mm. let's talk a little bit about it. Um, Great. So it came out in 1897. It is a fabricated uh, forgery uh, of fictional text that's plagiarized from several sources mm-hmm. that basically writes that um, Jewish people 
have a plan for global domination. It first came out in Russia in 1903, but got translated and disseminated across the world in the early 20th century. It's a huge hit. Uh, And also it popularized a belief that there was a Jewish conspiracy to take over an international Jewish conspiracy taking over the world. Mm. Um, This work at a certain point ended up in the hands of German teachers. Uh oh. um, And Uh it was taught like it was a factual text to German school children after the Nazis came to power in 1933. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, this is despite the fact that it had been exposed as uh, fraudulent and a hoax and um, and a lot of for, uh, plagiarism by the Times but in 1921 and uh, the, Ge- the the German Frankfurter Zeitung in 1924. Like a decade. It's, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it's been exposed as fake for a decade and, and they were still teaching it as as if it was a factual text. Mm-hmm. It gets more fun. Um, oh, great. That book is, Tell me. The book today is still widely available. You can find it in many places in print and on the internet. And it continues to be presented by uh, neo-fascists as well as anti-Semitic and fundamentalist groups as a real document. Mm. Um, this has been described as uh, the most influential work of anti-Semitism ever written. Not a great title to hold, huh? No. So Ike, using the protocols of the elders of Zion in his book, Robots Rebellion uh-huh. might raise some red flags that maybe David Icke is while yeah. referencing aliens and yeah. saying, no, it's not Jews, it's aliens. But uh-huh. but the the aliens are. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say if David Icke specifically wanted to use this a horribly anti anti-Semitic text, just wanted it, just wanted to incorporate it somewhere into his work. Probably not a great sign for the man. Probably not good. And it had been debunked seven decades before the publishing of this book. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Just figured, you know what? No one's talking about this as much as they should be anymore. Let's bring it back into the public. Yikes, mm-hmm. my man. Um, yeah, uh, Robots Rebellion refer- refers repeatedly to the protocols of the Elders of Zion. Uh, calls it calls them the Illuminati protocols. Here we go, Illuminati. Oh, no. This is the first time we've said Illuminati on this podcast. I think That's it's the bad. first time we've seen we've said the. Illuminati. Is wow. this where, is this the, I mean, I don't know too much. You know this. I start the show by saying I know nothing. Is this part of where the idea of the Illuminati came from? Or is that just like a whole thing that's been around forever? It's been around for a while. The Illuminati actually was a real life organization. It was okay. sort of like a uh, early modern period. It was very short existence. It was an early modern period group of like what I could only imagine today would be like the equivalent of Twitch debate bros. <laughs> they were people okay. who were like, we're really smart and uh, religion is dumb and we're really smart for not believing in religion. So we're going to start an organization that is about Illumi- like like Illuminati was like, we are the illuminated ones. We're enlightened. Oh, I see. Maybe we should do an Illuminati episode. That would be fun. Let I us made know. Illu- <laughs> Let us yeah. know on Twitter at Probs Not Aliens. Gotta be plugging. Mm-hmm. All right. So he's, yeah, he's calling, he's calling them the Illuminati. And that doesn't sound like it's a good thing. No, he refers to the Illuminati as the uh, brotherhood elite at the top of the pyramid of secret societies worldwide, Mm. mentioning that the protocols were not the work of Jewish people, but of Zionists, which mm, that, you know what, that, that is a can of worms that we, that is too much to open for one podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Sounds like it. Furthermore, uh, he also references a book called Behold a Pale Horse, which came out in 1991, which is by a guy named Milton William Cooper, who has associations with the American militia movement, which is, uh, was, I guess it's still around in some fashion today, but was a far right group of white supremacists in the United States who are basically preparing for a race war in America. Mm. Um, the probably most famous example of their work was the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, Timothy McVeigh and everything like that. Hey, that sounds familiar, Tristan. Why does that sound familiar? Because I made it. That's my most recent video. Yeah. (laughs) And chapter 15 of uh, Milton Cooper's book has a full reproduction of the protocols of of Zion. So you can see what he was reading. What is what is uh, what his intake was good. A good balanced breakfast. (laughs) Yikes. Yeah. So despite the fact that he had been humiliated in that interview, he was still invited to be at the Green Party's annual conference in 1992. Oh, but wow. after Robots Rebellion, uh, the Green Party made the pretty sensible decision to ban him from the party. Good. 
Good, good, obviously. <laughs> and then he wrote another book called Uh-oh. And the Truce I'll Set You Free in 1995, which has a chapter where he um, asks some questions about the veracity of the Holocaust. Hey, I'm just asking questions. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that so much. In the book, he suggests that the Jews funded the Holocaust by quoting and seconding Gary Allen's claim that the Warburgs, part of the Rothschild Empire, helped finance Adolf Hitler. This keeps you keep going. This all sounds great. Yeah. Uh, he believes that schools indoctrinate children with the unchallenged version of these events, with the mainstream account of the Holocaust, thanks to uh, their use of free copies of the film Schindler's List. What? Uh, so this book, he brought this book uh, questioning the Holocaust uh-huh. to his publisher, uh-huh. who did not publish this book. Oh, <laughs> thank God. Um, his publishers had some issues uh, and they decided to very abruptly part ways with Mr. Ike. <laughs> yeah, good call. Probably should have done that a little sooner. Mm-hmm. Could have done that a little sooner. But uh, I mean, I guess I guess good call on this one. But of course, oh no, David Icke, being a person of constant reinvention, wouldn't let that set him back. And a content so, creator. And a I mean, content you, creator, you yeah. always got to be hustling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had that hustle grind set. And yeah. if no one was going to publish this book, he was going to self-publish. So he borrowed 15,000 British pounds from one of his friends what? and started the Bridge of Love Publications. Uh, oh, sorry, why did he have to borrow money? Didn't he? He already had four other books that were that sold, right? Like. I don't know what his financial situation was, but uh, he decided to start his own printing press. The book, the the printing press was, or the publishing company was called Bridge of Love Publications, but today it's called David Icke Books. <laughs> they ch- they made it more. <laughs> I would have gone the opposite route and tried to distance myself from David Icke. Now, but no. <laughs> okay, I have uh, I have a proposition for a radical reimagining of Knives Out. Okay, <laughs> where it's like David Icke's children, because remember he like ran. And a publishing oh, house. Oh yeah, 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 like, yeah. He's got a whole, a whole, a whole line of books. Yes, but it's all like conspiracy theory stuff. It's all consp- and like no, it, it's the opposite of Knives Out. Where like no one wants it. None of his kids yeah. want it. They're just like, do I? Ha- is he? Does he have to leave this to me in the will? I do not want it. For the first book he self-published was this book, and the truth will set you free. And every book he's published ever since. He has been trying to basically consolidate every conspiracy theory into one like Uber theory. Trying to put it all together, Mm -hmm. a whole cinematic universe. And oh boy, well, you have a lot of fun with this. Uh, So since 1998, uh, from 1998 to 2011, he has sold approximately 140,000 copies of his books, um, which has netted him about 2 million British pounds. So just showing that he's, he's, he's doing all right. He's doing all right. Probably paid back his friend that he borrowed money from. He's printed a bunch of copies of his book. Uh, One of his more popular books called The Biggest Secret, which came out in 1999, has been uh, reprinted six times. Another one of his books called uh, Alice in Wonderland and the World Trade Center Disaster. What? uh, Which you can imagine what his take on 9-11 would be. I'm sorry, Um, what is Alice in Wonderland Wonderland and the the World World Trade Trade Center Disaster? Yes. I Um, I couldn't fathom what his take on, on 9-11 would be I don't know what's <laughs> happening here in this book title is it aliens or is it just it was a secret conspiracy of people who did it I don't know everything's so weird well this book which um, very tastefully came out in 2002 oh my god um, became a top five bestseller in South Africa for quite a long time uh-huh. uh huh by 2006 he had a website that was getting 600,000 hits a week and uh, by 2011 his books have been translated into 11 languages. <sighs> so he's going places. People people seem to like it. Yep. And furthermore, he um, has gone on public lectures. He's done the lecture circuit around the world, which um, this is the thing that I find very strange. So not only does David Icke go and get paid to go to speaking engagements, but holy crap, do people get their money's worth if you're a fan? Um, yeah. I just found a few examples. So one, um, at one point in 2008, he addressed people at Brixton Academy in London, where he talked to 2,500 people for 
seven hours. How how does one person have so much to say for seven hours? He also in 2012 uh, went to uh, Wembley Arena and spoke to 6,000 people for 11 hours. 11 hours. Did he take a break at all at any point? I don't point? know. I don't. I, I like to imagine he didn't. And it he was just, 11 like, hours. He his own thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. He's like, everyone will listen to me. I won't stop talking until I've pitched you my new, my new, <laughs> until I've pitched you my new grimdark Scooby-Doo series that I'm yeah. writing right now. Um, he's also been at places like the uh, University of Oxford Debating Society. Um, he has sold out talks in New York City, uh, reportedly making 83,000 pounds worth of ticket sales when he went to Melbourne for uh, his tour for his book. Um, Human race, get off your knees. The lion sleeps no more. These titles, what is, where does he come up with these? I don't know. It's kind of clickbaity. Um, yeah, it is. I, I was going to say it is very much. Uh, he's got that alpha grind set, that content creator. Always got to, always got to get that click through rate. And he's always moving into new stuff. Um, he launched an internet tele- television station in November of 2013 called The People's Voice. Okay. Um, which uh, he started with uh, by crowdsourcing about 300,000 British pounds and worked for it as a volunteer all the way until March of 2014. Oh, all, so four <laughs> from months. No, yeah, from November 2013 to March 2014. What yeah. a long lived idea. Yeah, and then The People's Voice shut down later that year. Shocker. Uh, then he also decided to run for parliament again. How did that go? Um, he came in in 12th out of 26 candidates, he All got right. a total of 110 votes, mm. uh, which was roughly 0.46% of the votes. And it was the true, it was it was the people, the people's voice that voted for, he is the people's voice. Yeah. According to 110 votes. So that's, that's David Icke's, most of his career until like very modern day. We're going to get into his COVID stuff a little bit later. But um, next, I think in part two, yeah. we're going to get into... What David Icke yeah. actually actual beliefs like what is in all these books? What does he actually believe? Yeah. Like any good movie series, right? The first one's an origin story. The second one is just gonna build build upon second what one we you know. fight Doc Octopus. The second one you fight Dr. Octopus. And we're gonna get to that in the next in the next uh, episode. Can you give us a little bit of a teaser? We're gonna be talking about uh all of his different sorts of beliefs, all of David Icke's beliefs. Uh, are they good beliefs, Tristan? He doesn't believe in the moon. All right. So uh, <laughs> make sure you subscribe to hear some good content. Until then, where can people find us? So first of all, you can go to at Props Not Aliens on Twitter where you can send all sorts of great. We're getting so much great fan art. Someone just saw uh, sent oh us goodness, a Thought yes. Fossil think, uh, Thinking Cloud which or Thought Bubble, which came really great because it came right on the heels of your uh, <laughs> Thought Bubble video. Yeah. So I thought that was really that was really cool. Very good. Oh, man, we get so many great like pictures and fan art. And stuff like that and I, I'm always like name searching props not aliens because when it's you know when I'm when I'm name searching myself it's just hate but when I'm searching props not aliens it's like uh like memes ancient aliens memes yeah uh, the person who drew the um the Fresno Nightcrawler as the the with the most vibing <laughs> award yes <laughs> So uh, good. Thank you so much for everyone who's, who's been submitting uh, fan art and also just saying really nice things and tweeting really nice stuff at us and leaving those good reviews on Apple Podcasts and all over. It really does. It really does help us out. And it just makes our day. We love making this show and we love that you all uh, like listening to it. And I hope you like I hope you like this episode. But yeah, Tristan, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, I have a YouTube channel called Step Back, um, where between taking care of babies, one baby, uh, I feel like I have infinite babies but I only have the one. Um, I try to put videos together about the past. Uh, I'm sort of veering into talking about American history and how it intersects with the present and all that kind of stuff. How about you, uh, Scott? We've, we've talked a little bit about Scooby-Doo, but uh, what's your yeah. what's your shtick? What, how have you polished your elevator uh, pitch this week? So, uh, yeah, I have a, I'm also a YouTuber. I make videos at NerdSync, N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C. I make video essays about nerdy things. I take something in pop culture that I'm interested in, comics, cartoons, other things, uh, and I use it to teach about real world history and art I'm doing a lot more of these days. I just released a whole video about 
thought balloons, what happened to thought balloons in comic books. Uh, so if you're interested in why we don't use thought balloons very much anymore and you want to see a whole like 35 minute video about it, a deep dive, go check it out. I also am in the process of making a Scooby-Doo video. Another one. I have so many people keep wanting me to talk about it. So uh, nice. go go check it out. NerdSync. I've got links in the description everywhere. And uh, yeah, like we said, thank you so much to everyone who's been saying such nice things about us everywhere and sharing this show with your friends it means a lot because that's how we grow is mm-hmm. you sharing yeah. us, sharing us around you go to propsnotaliens.com you can get this show on whatever podcatcher of choice you wish to use or you can go on youtube where the show is catching up to the modern uh timeline and then once it's on we'll be you'll be able to watch it alongside our uh our regular content and i guess we'll see all of you listeners next time when we talk more about this wonderful fantastic person that we're learning so much good things about Dave David Ike. But until then, my friends, the truth is out there. Probably. Yep, we'll go with that take. We'll go with that. That one's great.